Welcome to Bar Fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein. Taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural, and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados, and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now, leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein. Hi, you guys, and welcome back to Bar Fights for part two of an incredible, incredible change maker and warrior woman, Yasmin Vafa. She is the co-founder and executive director of rightsforgirls.org. She's a human rights attorney. She's an advocate, um, and she currently serves on the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services National Advisory Committee on the Sex Trafficking of Children and Youth. We did an amazing show with her last week talking about the sex industry. And this week, we're going to switch gears and talk about something completely different, but it's such good food for thought and everybody needs to listen to this. Today, we're talking about the abuse to prison pipeline, and we're going to learn about what that is. Um, And it really opened my eyes because as somebody who often contributes to getting people put in prison, um, this is, this is a little spin on that about why people end up in prison and what that, especially young people and what that looks like. And so Yasmin, welcome to Bar Fights. Thanks for being back here. Thank you for having me. So talk to us, what is this abuse to prison pipeline? Can you explain it to my listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you know, what we realized in talking to so many young girls and especially girls of color from around the country was that so many of them had obviously experienced sexual abuse, sexual exploitation. uh, And what we kept hearing was this common narrative that they had also experienced arrest and incarceration. And so, you know, we thought that was really interesting and wanted to delve deeper and see if this was just, you know, a one-off or a couple of bad jurisdictions or if it was a pattern. And unfortunately, we realized that it was a pattern. So we started to look at, you know, a couple of states and look at their data and test this hypothesis. And what we realized was that an overwhelming percentage of girls behind bars had suffered past experiences of sexual and physical abuse. Mm -hmm. And then when we looked at the national data, we found that it was similar. So, you know, for example, nationally, over 73% of girls behind bars had suffered uh, sexual and physical abuse prior to entering the juvenile justice system. Uh, But in places like Oregon, it was over 90%. In places like California, it was upwards of 80%. And when we looked at those high rates of trauma together with the most common offenses that girls were being arrested for, it became very clear that they were actually being arrested because of the abuse that they suffered. So the most common offenses for girls were running away, Mm. which is a status offense, truancy or skipping school and prostitution. And this was true despite the fact that at the federal level, any child under the age of 18 who's engaged in the commercial sex trade is considered a victim of human trafficking. And this was true despite the fact that many of these state laws 
Um, these kids were too young to even be legally consenting to sex. They were being arrested and incarcerated for prostitution. Mm. So we thought this was, you know, very fascinating and no one was really, you know, telling this story. And, you know, we had done a lot of juvenile justice work and this was very different than the trajectory of young men and boys. And so, you know, as advocates, we were so used to hearing the narratives around young men and boys in the system. And, you know, clearly as advocates in the sexual assault and um, anti-violence spaces, you know, you're hearing about what's happening to adult women. Uh, and then when we were in the anti-trafficking space, you're hearing about, you know, what's happening to girls and women uh, overseas. But, you know, no one was really paying attention to what was happening to young women and girls of color here. And so we felt it was really important to tell their story. And so we ended up launching this report in 2015 called the Sexual Abuse to Prison Pipeline, The Girl's Story. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to really just tell this untold story of, of what was, you know, happening to girls of color in the United States who are experiencing sexual abuse and who were marginalized. Um, you know, what was clear was that gender-based violence is pervasive in the United States. We know that. And clearly the recent CDC data is just reifying that information. Um, it's pervasive, but for girls with economic and family stability, they are often more likely to be able to access the services and support needed to get on a path to healing. For more marginalized girls, it's clear that they are too often left to fend for themselves. And so the steps that they take to protect themselves or to escape the violence that they're experiencing is then punished by our systems. And so when a girl runs away to escape an abusive foster care home or, you know, congregate care facility, she is then arrested for the status offense of running away. Um, if a girl is being uh, abused or harassed or trafficked and is missing school, she is then arrested for the status offense of truancy. Uh, if a girl is being sex trafficked, she can be arrested for either of those offenses or for prostitution. So we wanted to really name this and call it out and, you know, flag this in a report and detail what was actually happening um, with the data and then really, you know, make a number of recommendations. And so um, the report was really, you know, it got a lot of attention. The Obama White House in particular really called attention to it. And since then, it's been cited, I think, in like hundreds of law review pieces and uh, journals. And, um, you know, there's been some significant progress made since then, but we have a long way to go. And, you know, we have an update to the report coming out soon, mm -hmm. uh, really just calling attention to the fact that this is still happening. Um, you know, there's there's still more critical pathways into the, the you know, pipeline and into prison for these girls and some more serious than others. And, you know, it, it's just, it's urgent and it needs to be called out and we need to figure out ways to really dismantle this um, because it's, it's so unjust that these survivors, oftentimes child victims of crime are being punished um, for what would amount to acts of resiliency, acts of self-protection. You know, one of the other ways that, um, 
you know, we see this coming up as these girls who are trying to protect themselves from traffickers, from sex buyers, and who then get punished for long sentences, right? They get sentenced to life in prison, 20 years in prison um, for, you know, what ultimately amounts to self-defense. And so it really is just a cruel and very extreme form of victim blaming. Uh, but because of who these girls are, again, they're often girls of color, um, because of things like adultification bias, which, you know, we now know has been documented uh, for Black girls in particular. Adults see them as more mature, uh, more knowledgeable about things like sex, um, less in need of protection and nurturing than their white counterparts. And so they're really just these racial and gender biases feed into how they're treated. And so it's just this very unjust pipeline um, and really shapes how girls are um, treated by the system. And I think it's a unique narrative and something that, you know, is, is different and, and sets them apart for how boys are experiencing criminalization. Wow. Wow. Th this is fascinating. I'm just thinking back a couple years ago, I watched some show on, I don't know what, probably during COVID, like, and it was called like girls behind bars or girls in lockup or something. And I watched the first couple episodes and I felt so sick. I couldn't keep watching it, but what it was about, it profiled these girls behind bars, teenagers, some of them yep. 12, 13 years old, but it showed their stories, their whole lives. And like you said, basically every single one of them was a victim of yep. some abuse. And my sentiment was, oh my gosh, if I had taken that girl and put her in my house and yep. she had been loved and smooched on and hugged and told she was beautiful and incredible, right? Th this would not be her life trajectory. And, and it was heartbreaking to see the fact that she's now locked up because her dad was raping and beating her her whole life. And then she turns 13 and runs away and gets thrown in this horrible facility and, and, and all the rest. And then it also would do follow-ups. And here's a question I have for you. I mean, once you're locked up as a young person, before your brains even fully form, the chances of that pattern repeating itself throughout your life is I'm guessing very, very high, right? They, they just get out and keep repeat offending, searching for a way to matter, searching for footing, searching exactly. for money, searching for resources. I don't know what, but this is essentially maybe even a death sentence for them, right? I mean, in, in so many ways, it basically fuels this cycle, exactly what you said, of re-victimization and incarceration, including adult incarceration. So if you do not break the cycle, provide off-ramps, and provide some type of trauma-informed care, yep. then absolutely, they end up you know, if they are able to exit the system with they, they don't get any services, right? So the system itself is deeply traumatic. Think of what this juvenile detention is like for any child, right? It's basically prison. Um, it's incredibly traumatic. The conditions of confinement are deeply traumatic for any child, much less a victim of sexual assault, right? Or sexual exploitation. Um, things like strip searches, um, the use of restraints, um, showering in front of guards, um, isolation, which is 
a nice word for solitary confinement. All of these types of conditions of confinement are deeply traumatic and they exacerbate that existing trauma. So without getting any type of real services and support, these girls then exit the system and, as you said, engage in behaviors that mean they're likely going to end up right in the same place, right? Risky behaviors. They don't know how, you know, they don't know how to trust healthy adults. Um, they engage in other avoidant behaviors like running. Anger management. They're you're right, you know. right. Harmful behaviors. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they probably end up engaging in some other type of behavior. And if the abuse that landed them there to begin with is still there, right? Because that's the other thing about the abuse to prison pipeline. Absent understanding what the conditions were that landed this young person behind bars, that means the abuser is still out there, right? So it also shields their abuser from accountability, which means that that person could still be there, not only to harm them, but others in the community. So that could just land them behind bars again. And and oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times judges or system professionals be like, well, she keeps running. Well, why don't you ask why she's running? Yeah. Could it be that mom's boyfriend continues to rape her or abuse her? Could it be that the foster care facility she's at, she's experiencing abuse? Could it be that she's being abused at school or harassed at school? Or, you know, some there was a young girl who was being trafficked and she, and she was being bullied at school about it. You know, how about, you know, our counselors step in and intervene in a way that's helpful and meaningful? So these are all really important factors. And, you know, what we tell judges when we do our trainings is, we need to look behind the charge. We need to be screening these children in upon intake in the juvenile justice system or in the child welfare system. It's very important to be doing these screenings and assessments to figure out what's going on so that we don't miss these critical intervention opportunities to actually help these abused and exploited children. Because as you said, so many of these kids could be treated in the community, given services, oftentimes the family needs services too, you know, and that way you could be intercepting and and helping and cutting off these cycles of harm and trauma and actually doing so much more good than harm. Um, But otherwise, yeah, you're fueling this cycle of victimization uh, and and incarceration and it's just devastating. I mean, you'll see Uh, There's this fabulous project. Um, Richard Ross is this photographer and he, you know, basically goes inside juvenile justice facilities and he takes photographs of the young people inside. And he has this nonprofit called Juvenile Injustice and they have an Instagram and a Facebook page. And, you know, if you follow them, you'll and he posts captions from the young people, just photographs a young person uh, and then a caption, but all of the captions, especially of the young girls are just incredibly harrowing. And it's all what we talk about. You know, I was, you know, my mother had experienced this type of abuse or my, I never knew my father, or, you know, I was in foster care from a young age, or I experienced exploitation and no one comes to visit me. And, you know, or I have a young daughter or, you know, and it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, it's exactly what you said. It all comes from abuse and trauma. And, you know, those cycles can be broken and these young people could be healed 
And, you know, I've had the great privilege of working with so many of these survivors that when given the opportunity and when, you know, surrounded by the support and care and services actually go on to lead incredible lives and touch so many people around them. So it's just being able to offer that, you know, just being able to just provide that bare minimum support, um, you know, these young people go on to thrive. And I think that's just, you know, the least we could do. Not to mention people have done a cost benefit analysis and it is much more expensive to incarcerate a child for, you know, than to to give them those services in the community. It's much cheaper. So even if you don't care, the humanitarian argument means nothing to you from a cost benefit point of view. It is much cheaper to serve these kids and give them treatment in the community than to incarcerate them. I mean, this doesn't even make any sense to me. And you think about, I'm picturing, you know, a a child survivor of some sort of abuse being, you know, met with the therapy and the counseling and all of the things they still struggle Mm -hmm. for the perpetually for the rest of their lives. You take a little unformed brain. I mean, I think the brain isn't fully formed until like you're like 25 or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the little unformed brain who has been traumatized, abused and harmed, and then they are receiving secondary and, you know, third and fourth degree trauma. And the response is to, like you said, isolate them, shun them. All they actually really need is love and a way to process what has happened to them, not all of the rest, right? Not all of the, and and think about that dynamic of then being put behind bars. How does that brain process that they are being punished for something that somebody else did to them? And, you know, the anger that must come with that, the, the introversion, the wanting to self-harm, mm-hmm. the wanting to escape with drugs and alcohol. So the minute they're out of there, you know, think about these kids then turning to substances to bury the emotion that comes along with this, not only the first degree of trauma, but the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever they experience behind bars, that little baby child doesn't stand a goddamn chance. A hundred percent. That makes me crazy. That is so screwed up. And so the system, you mentioned educating lawyers and judges, and, you know, I, I have seen a lot of crazy stuff play out in family court. That's just nuts. That's not my area, but I've seen it um, intersect with some of our cases. But besides the education piece, I mean, what, what do we do? Our laws broken, the system's broken. What do we do? You know, you've done an, an incredible, you know, research and bringing this topic to light and put and putting a spotlight on it, but what can we do next? So we've taken, you know, a few different approaches. One is we, we launched this judicial Institute with the national council of juvenile and family court judges, which is one of the oldest, you know, it's basically like the ABA for judges. And we um, have this two and a half day curriculum. We train judges all over the country, especially juvenile family court and tribal court judges on how to identify these kids in their courtrooms 
irrespective of how they come in. So whether they come in through the dependency context or the delinquency context, um, how to identify these kids and how to promote outcomes that don't rely on, you know, punitive measures that don't rely on detention. A lot of times, especially for trafficked youth, these judges assume that detention is safer than letting these kids out where they'll go back to their traffickers, right? So we've trained, you know, I think over 800 judges across the country and really have, you know, inspired a number of judges to no longer send kids to detention, um, set up their own specialized dockets for these types of cases, really take a different approach. Um, We've also, um, you know, inspired different types of laws, so safe harbor laws to end the criminalization of child victims of sex trafficking for prostitution offenses, and also, you know, encouraging off ramps um, for just any type of, um, especially girls out of the juvenile justice system, really promoting these community-based programs and community-based alternatives to detention, recognizing that girls often don't pose any threat to public safety, and it doesn't really make sense to pull them into the system for all the reasons that you said, that once you take, you know, girls out of school and disconnect them from their family and their schools and their community, you're basically making them off track, you know, and, and it's very hard to get them back on track. And so it's better to connect them and keep them in their communities. And, you know, the outcomes are much better. And so it, that's all very important and monitoring that progress. So, you know, and getting to the root of what's actually causing the behavior, it's often rooted in abuse and trauma. So, those are some of the things that we've done, uh, and we're we've been promoting the types of laws that allow judges to look at the whole um, circumstances of childhood trauma, adverse childhood experiences when making decisions, uh, especially sentencing decisions around uh, children who are accused of harming their abusers. So we have some legislation that has advanced in Illinois right now. There's legislation moving in California right now. Um, there's a brilliant advocate named Sarah Cruzan. She was uh, a child sex trafficking victim who was incarcerated for almost 20 years in California for killing her trafficker when she was 16 or 17 years old. And, you know, she has now dedicated her adult life to advocating for these types of laws um, to basically allow judges to really consider the full context. Um, a lot of times, you know, people don't know judges and juries are often barred from hearing that information because it's considered prejudicial to the victim. Uh, but oftentimes that victim you know, raped, abused, trafficked the person who ended up harming them or killing them in these cases. And so if the juries knew, they probably would have a very different, you know, thought process about the circumstances. And so these laws have been um, advancing in a lot of states and jurisdictions, um, really modeled off like the domestic violence laws and what we have really learned from that movement that, you know, it can impact that trauma can really impact a survivor. And it's important to understand the full context of that trauma on uh, a defendant, you know, a victim defendant's actions. 
So those laws are something that we've been promoting across the states as well and at the federal level. That's amazing. And and when better to take a totality of the circumstances approach than when we are talking about a child, yes, right? Exactly. I, I mean, the world is a, is a crazy place right now for lots of different reasons, but you've brought to light last week and this week, um, some issues that really, really, really need to be talked about. These conversations need to be had um, and advanced. And, and, you know, again, we talk a lot on this show about kids. If we're not doing it for our kids, who are we doing it for? And kids grow up and become adults. And, um, and so we need to really start looking at what is happening, um, especially as you've mentioned in these marginalized communities, where are the resources? How can we do better education and laws are one piece of it. Um, but I think anybody listening at home right now can roll up their sleeves and get involved some way, shape or form when it comes to our kids. Um, you guys, the report is called the sexual abuse to prison pipeline, the girl's story. I highly recommend you read it. There's an update on that report coming soon. You can find it at rights, the number four girls.org. Yasmin Vafa, you're incredible. I'm so honored to meet you. And I thank you on behalf of everyone listening and on behalf of our youth that someone like you exists in this world. Thank you for everything. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. You guys will see you next time here on Bar Fights. Thank you for listening to Bar Fights with attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.